0: Good to see you tonight. We're glad that we have opportunity to be together to worship God. And I invite your attention in just a moment to God's Word as we uh, have uh, arranged the lesson tonight in which we want to talk about your relationship with Jesus. If you're here and not a Christian, then we want to encourage you to become one. If you are one, we encourage you for us to uh, look carefully at God's will and our lives in reference to it that our hearts and our lives conform to His will and to repent of every sin that we find, that we might have the relationship with Christ that He has designed for us so that we might be saved now and with Him throughout eternity. I do want to talk about (coughs) the relationship that the Christian has with Jesus by beginning to, to think about the reality that faith is a personal thing. Now, when I say faith is personal, I do not mean that that uh, your faith should be different than my faith and my faith is different than the third person's faith, but rather that, that because it involves you personally, it is personal. Uh, Jesus, uh, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Well, that's something personal to Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. So that's his personal life here on the earth. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he's made a deliberate decision to crucify himself and to and for Christ to live in him he says i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so so faith is personal because it involves you personally and it involves jesus personally now the bible talks about relationships that christians have with jesus and yet, did you realize that the expression personal relationship with Christ is not in the Scripture? If you want to go out and find we're going to find, quote, personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to, you're going to look till you blue in your face because that expression is not there. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible does not talk about relationships but it does suggest to us the very possibility that some are using expressions that are not going to be supported in Scripture. As for Scripture, the Bible says that Christ is in your hearts through faith. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and it continues on. So, we do know the Scripture says Christ dwells in our heart through faith, uh, and, and uh, very similar to what Galatians 2 and verse 20 said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. That is, Paul's will has been subjugated to, has been crucified to allow the will of Jesus to live within him. And that's because of the trust or the faith that he has in his heart in Christ, so that Christ dwells in his heart through that faith. Now, the reason we talk about all this is because there is much said religiously about having a personal relationship with Jesus. That, that expression, to have a personal relationship with Christ, is often used to evangelize and solidify the false doctrines of evangelicalism. Evangelical Christianity, as it's described, is long and loud about a personal relationship. With Jesus. Trouble is it helps that the terminology and concepts solidify doctrines like salvation by faith only. And central to it is a doctrine of a personal indwelling of the Spirit of God in your spirit, as well as the whole spectrum of Calvinism. Calvinistic theology. Because when evangelicalism talks about a personal relationship with Jesus, it is documented. It's, it's not a, a misstatement at all just to realize they are talking about a subjective relationship with Christ. Now, there's subjective and there's objective, right? Now, So we want to, we want to be able to define what they mean by that. We're going to read the definition in just a minute. Because being personal, there's an aspect, well, it's subjective, I'm the subject of the relationship. That's fine as far as the Scriptures explain that. But because we want a scriptural relationship, we want the scriptural relationships with Jesus. And there are many that are described in Scripture. But we don't want to intermingle the common concept of a personal relationship with Jesus because we need to understand that kind of terminology is anchored in a lot of false doctrine that we just don't need to be uh, uh, contaminating, being contaminated with, contaminating our faith with. To the degree that that faith is contaminated with error, then it diminishes and extinguishes genuine faith. And so let's see what is meant. I'm going to quote a, a an, uh, an evangelical. A theologian, you know a teacher, preacher uh, from a, from his website Christ in you Ministries about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus in the evangelical mindset it's, it is and when I say evangelical mindset I'm talking about stuff like uh, groups like Christ the King like most of the the, the, the independent uh, denominational churches out here around us, the reformed churches, and so on. Evangelicalism, he said, "quote the interpersonal and uh, I'm sorry, intrapersonal and interpersonal relationship of the Christian with Jesus Christ must be recognized as a subjective, internal, spiritual reality, whereby an individual in any age receives the living Spirit of Christ into his or her spirit." Romans eight nine Thus, becoming a Christian, a Christ One. Now, you see what he just said there? You become a Christian by receiving the living Spirit of Christ into your spirit. Well, that's a perversion of that verse and many others. And we're not going to spend time right now on talking about how to become a Christian, uh, save the point that it's when we become a Christian that we are brought into fellowship with the Spirit of Christ as well as the Father and the Son. But but the idea of personal relationship with Jesus is now you have a subjective, uh, inter, intra- and interpersonal relationship going on between you and the Spirit of Christ. He continues, that relationship must involve a dynamic sense of the... Om- Ontological interaction and communion. That's a big word. It means nature. The nature of being, of your being. So, the nature of this relationship is dynamic and interactional and communal. A living and functional communication. You talk to Jesus, Jesus talks to you. You listen to the Spirit of God speak to you. You let the Spirit of God guide you, direct you, lead you in a personal way, in a communicative way. He's communicating with you directly, dynamically. Now, is that what the Bible says? Is that that how God communicates with you today? That the Spirit of Christ is personally indwelling your spirit and... And speaking directly to you in a in this very dynamic, subjective way. I deny it. I think the scriptures deny it. In fact, the scriptures say dwells in our hearts through faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We listen to the word of God. This is how the Spirit speaks to us today, is in Scripture. And we make a choice whether to trust that word and follow it and therefore have communion with. God, fellowship with Jesus or not. So when we begin to listen to the terminology and use the terminology of false teachers about a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to put up a a, a warning flag. It's not wrong to talk about relationship with Jesus, but we need to know how it's defined in Scripture. We want the scripture we want to speak as the oracles of God, First Peter four and verse eleven, and and to do that, we need to do that when it comes to talking about whatever relationship we have with Jesus Christ. So let's let's begin by noting that the scriptures talk about fellowship with Jesus. First John one verses one through four, Scripture says that which was from the beginning, that that which we have heard. Which we have seen, which uh, seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that uh, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, John is referring to the Christ, the one who was from the beginning, the one who was with the Father, the one who. Uh, Possesses eternal life, who was manifested or revealed to the apostles, the one that they heard, that they saw, that they handled, they and and that that life, and that now they are bearing witness, bearing testimony of that which we have seen and heard. We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you. That your joy may be full. So, John immediately says by having fellowship with us, that is, the apostles who heard the word, saw the word, handled the word of life, that is, Jesus, and bearing testimony of him and the life he gives from the Father, that we have fellowship with him and the Father by having fellowship with the apostles. I said, we declare this to you so you can have fellowship with us. Well, why do I want fellowship with the apostles, with John, with those who handled, saw, touched, uh, listened to Jesus? Because, you see, their fellowship was with the Father and the Son. And so, when I am in fellowship with them, when I share in common with the apostles, then I'm having fellowship with Jesus with his father you see I can't have a personal relationship quote unquote with Jesus and not be and be out of fellowship with his apostles I can't oppose and reject and set aside the New Testament of Jesus Christ and any of its revealed truth and have any confidence of having a relationship or fellowship with Jesus John affirms that the things they have written. They bore witness and now they've written these things down so our joy is complete in the fellowship that we have with them because their fellowship is with the Father and the Son. That's why we emphasize Scripture. Amen. Because if we're not in fellowship, if we don't have that relationship with the apostles, we have no relationship with Jesus. Now, in verses 5, 6, and 7... John goes on to say, what I'm telling you is God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So John now says, by walking in the light, which means practicing the truth, verse 6, that's how we have fellowship with Jesus. Then he goes on in chapter chapter 2, verses 3-6 through six, and says what this means is by keeping His commandments we have fellowship with Jesus. Look at that verse. Chapter 2 and verse 3. By this we know that we know Him. Now the word know is, is an important word there. The word know means to perceive or understand. Genosco. So we perceive, we understand that we know Him. We understand that we understand Jesus. We perceive that we, that we have an understanding of Jesus. How? If we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him. I have, a, I have a relationship with Jesus. And does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So without ambiguity, John says the way that we understand that we have a proper understanding of Jesus is by keeping His commandments. That that is how the love of God is completed, is perfected, is matured within us. And that if we claim to know Jesus, but we are not walking in His truth, obeying His commands, then we're liars. We don't know Him. We're not abiding in Him and He's not abiding in us. Now, that's foundational. Anybody who claims a relationship of any sort with Jesus has to begin with these, these fundamentals. Of being in fellowship with His apostles by walking in the light of the truth that came through them from the Father and the Son... So that by keeping those commandments, we know that we know them. Now we have assurance by that obedient life. John 14, that John read for us a moment ago, our scripture reading tonight, emphasizes this point and is, is really a crucial passage for us to properly understand this whole issue about a relationship with Jesus. He told His apostles, a little longer the world will see Me no more. I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to no longer be on this earth. I'm going to, of course, be resurrected because He says, you'll see Me. Because I live, you will live also. There's going to be resurrection. And you're going to have life because of it. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in Me and I in you. Now there's... A relationship. The Son's in the Father. You're in the Son. And the Son's in you. And you're going to know that. Well, how are you going to know that? What do you mean, Jesus? Verse 21. He who has My commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves Me. And He who loves Me will be loved by My Father. And I will love Him and manifest Myself to Him. So now, so Jesus says, here's how this relationship is going to work. You keep my commandments, that that is a a statement of your love for me. You say you you love me, you say you have a relationship with me, that is defined by keeping my commandments. You have them and you keep them. Not Not that you know where they are, he says you have them and you keep them. That's the person that loves me, and that's the person my father will love. And I'll manifest myself, I'll reveal myself to you. There will be, uh, you'll be in me, and I'll be in you, as he said in verse 20. Now, Judas, not Iscariot, most likely, this is Thaddeus, one of the apostles, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How is that? Because you said. The, the, the world's not going to see you any longer, but, but you're going to see me. How how do you see Jesus in your life? How are they going to see Jesus? Do you see Him at all? Better see Him. But we've got to see Him in the right way. He answers it. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. The word home is... a literally a state, a residence, a place of abode. Jesus says, if you love Me, if anyone loves Me, He'll keep My word. That's the person that the Father will love. We'll come to Him. I'll manifest Myself to that person. And I'll reside with that person. That's the fellowship that John wrote about in 1 John 1 and 2. He who does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. Now, I think that's a pretty clear statement of who has any form of relationship with Jesus. He says, You have My Word and You keep My Word. And you will have in that you will participate with God, and God will participate with you. We will participate with the apostles because of the commonality we have, the common faith we share in Christ through their word. We'll then be able to have fellowship together. First with God. And, and so, in that fellowship with God and His Son, we have this relationship that's defined through faith. This is how Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Because, you see, we, we take Him at His Word. We have His Word. And we do what He says. We keep it. That's the person with the assurance of a relationship with God. And when someone... Implores you. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet you show them how to be saved, and they say, "I don't. I don't think you have to be baptized to be saved. I already. I believe Jesus. I asked Him into my heart. He's my personal Savior. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mark it down. That person is deceived. He is not following the Word of God. Just not. And that's Jesus' words applied. Because Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Jesus says that I'm saved, that He reveals Himself to me if I will believe and be baptized. He'll wash away my sins. Acts 22, 8 16 and many other verses. And yet we have millions of people, millions of people claiming a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet they don't keep His Word. Now, it's important for us, lest we fall into the same problem, lest we claim to be in relationship with Jesus, and yet we don't keep His Word. Because see, I'm not talking to all of them tonight, I'm talking to us. We have His Word. We have to keep His Word for Him to reveal Himself to us, for Him to be in our life through faith. So, that's the fundamental. That's the challenge. That's what Paul means when he says, I am crucified with Christ. I don't follow my dictates and my opinions and my decisions. I let the Word of God do that. That directs me. What He has said, and I keep that. I walk in that. And I am careful to scrutinize myself and examine myself that I am not applying my opinions over against what God says. That I am careful that I give full obedience. Not in heart obedience. Not lip service, but, but from the heart. Doing that what Jesus says. Now, let's spend the rest of the lesson for, uh, to look at some of the relationships that exist with Jesus, that Christians have with Jesus. It's not exhaustive. I may not touch on one that comes to your mind. You may, you might wonder, well, why didn't you talk about this? Well, didn't have time. I'll probably run out of time before I get to all these very well. So uh, we're going to look at about six. I've got six listed here. I'm sure we could we could double that list without too much trouble. Think of some of the relationships we have with Jesus. And they're all predicated upon having his word and keeping it. Having His Word and keeping it. You know, the Bible says He is our teacher. Now that's a relationship. We are the students. We are the learners. The Word says disciple. See, a disciple is someone who learns and follows what he learns. And he is the teacher or the master. Luke 6 and verse 40. So so the Christian who has this Fellowship with Christ who, who has Christ abiding with Him and He in Him uh, is a disciple, is learning and is following Jesus. Luke 6 and verse 40 says, "...a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher." Now, he'll go on in verse 46 to say, "...why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Why do you call me Master?" And you don't do what I say. See, why do we say we're a disciple if we don't follow our teacher? Do we want to be taught? Are we open to learning? Are we open to learning from Jesus? From His Word? We've got to be. Because you see, He's our teacher. He trains us. He instructs us. He reproves us. He improves us when we will take His teaching into our hearts and live it in our lives. Jesus said, go therefore and teach all nations, or make disciples of all nations. Teach them. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things, whatever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. So if we're going to claim a, quote, personal relationship with Jesus then we must be taught by Him. But more than that, we must then follow what He teaches. You see, that's the conundrum that those who claim a personal relationship have when they come in conflict with what Scripture says. And they choose a subjective, dynamic, internal feeling and define that as a relationship with Jesus rather than the objective stated truth that contradicts what they're feeling what their emotion, what their experience has been. Jesus trains us with truth and He calls us to yield our hearts and give our lives to living that truth. You see? He teaches by His commandments that we have from Him. Go back to that passage, John 15, 21. I'm sorry, 1421. John 1421. He who has my commandments and keeps them. We have his commandments because he teaches them to us. But it's by the keeping of them that I love him. So, Jesus is our teacher. How's that relationship going in, in your life? Is he teaching you? Are you learning? Are you following? Another relationship we have with Jesus is because He is Lord. Now, Christ is Lord even over those who do not willingly submit themselves to Him. I understand that. Psalm 110, verse 3. But Thomas, in John 20, 28, when he saw the evidence of the resurrected Christ, said, My Lord and my God. He acknowledged that Jesus is the ruler of his, of his life, that He is the Master. He is the one with authority at the right hand of God. He's crowned there at God's right hand. Coronated Acts 2 and verse 34 in fulfillment of Psalm 110. Peter said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is at God's right hand. He is my Lord. Now, by saying He is my Lord, that demands of me that I yield myself to His authority. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? There's the rebuke from the teacher. If I claim He's my Lord, I don't follow His Word in my life. I can correct that. I can change that through repentance, through obeying Him. And He calls us to that. You see, This is the relationship that we have willingly given ourselves to. To acknowledge His authority. Because He has all authority, we're going to appeal to it for all that we do in word or in deed. We have His Word, and we keep His Word. Jesus says, that's the person who loves me. Because He's our Lord. Another relationship Scripture describes is that Jesus is our High Priest. Now, This might for some be a little more difficult to grasp or at least comprehend, think about, uh, uh, because we're not very familiar with that whole idea of, of high priest. We need to become familiar because we're taught as Christians we are priests and we compose a priesthood. That we bring offerings and sacrifices of service to God in the house of God, His house. We are His house, His church, His temple. Now, Christ. Is high priest over the house of God. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the book of Hebrews teaches extensively about these concepts uh, and this reality of relationship when we are in fellowship with Jesus. Hebrews 4, verse 14 Seeing then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast our confession. We have a high priest who is in the presence of God. And He's there for several reasons. He's there to offer, as He has offered His blood as a propitiation, as a, as a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God to obtain mercy from God's presence. The high priest in the Old Testament once a year on the Day of Atonement would take blood that God specified according to His will. And, and uh, Leviticus 16 goes into detail. And He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat within the veil. That is in the most holy place representing the presence of God Himself and the mercy of God. The mercy seat setting atop the Ark of the Covenant in which was the law of God. And He would make atonement for Himself and for all the people once a year. And He did that every year on the Day of Atonement. Well, Christ made one sacrifice for sin forever. And He entered heaven with His own blood, giving us access through His blood to have boldness to come into the presence of God to obtain mercy. See, he, And so Hebrews 8 and verse 1 describes it. It says, the main point of these things we're saying is, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. The true house of God, which is the church. Christ at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God, serves as a high priest, having offered Himself as the very sacrifice, the atoning blood necessary to give us access. And so now... Hebrews 4.16 tells us as Christians in this relationship we have with a high priest that let us come boldly to the throne of His grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That couldn't happen except that we have a high priest, verse 15, Jesus, who makes that access to God possible because He's offered His blood to appease God's wrath against our sin, which is just because we sin against God. We're sinners and and, and that brings death. We need God's mercy. God says, I've provided a high priest. I've appointed a high priest for you, for your benefit, so you can come before me and obtain mercy. Now, as our high priest, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Now, this is the concept of of entreaty that's made on our behalf. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verses 24 and 25. He, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is ever present, our advocate before the Father, 1 John 2. And verse 1. He intercedes on our behalf. He, he pleads our case because He's provided the blood of atonement to remove our sin. And so He is our intercessor. Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. The Bible says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who, who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. He intercedes on our behalf as a merciful, faithful, and sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2.17, Hebrews 4. And chapter 5 and verse 2. As He again has made offerings and sacrifices of Himself for us. And so... We have access to God's throne in prayer because we have an intercessor. We have someone who is at God's right hand, someone who's provided the atoning sacrifice by his own presentation of himself, of his life, his blood. And he's merciful and faithful to provide those very that very relief we need from our sin. We have a high priest. And if it were not so, we could we could not have forgiveness. We could not have atonement. We could not have access to God. But God listens to us, His people, to, to our prayers, His children. Prayers of benefit and blessing of Christians because our high priest has made that access to His throne possible. Now, someone who says, I have access to the throne of God, and yet is disrespectful of the high priest's will, how can that person have any confidence in mercy? The mercy comes from God because of the high priest's propitiation and intercession. And so Jesus said, I'll be with you if you have My Word and do it. That's the One who loves Me and I'll love Him and that person will be loved by My Father. Mercy. Forgiveness, sympathy, strength, help in time of need—all of those, because we have a high priest over the house of God. Crucial relationship we have with Jesus—not talked about very much. That doesn't fit really neat, neatly on a on a bumper sticker, you know. That's not that's not really real easily put, you know, on a Facebook. You know, a meme or something. But without this relationship and work of Christ as a high priest, we'd have no expectation of anything except eternal death. Well, the Bible says that Christ is our brother. Let's talk about that a minute. We have a relationship as brothers or as brethren. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Uh, the verse says, I, "I will declare your name to my brethren." Again, in verse uh, seventeen of that same chapter, it says, "Therefore, in all things, he he uh, he made. Uh, I'm sorry, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people." So, 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 a couple of aspects of of being a brother that. Uh, Find application in Jesus. One is the brotherhood of man. He took upon Himself flesh. Verse 14 says, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same." So the children of God, and He being the Son of God, and so He is a brother in the sense that He too lived in the flesh. Verse 17 speaks to that point as we just read it. He was made in all things like His brethren. He's not only talking about Christians there. He's talking about humanity. He was man so that He could become a faithful and merciful high priest. Why? Because He gave Himself as that sacrifice for the sins of the world. So there's that aspect of brotherhood, but then of course there's the aspect of of being kinsmen in God's family, the Spirit, our faith. Hebrews 2, 11, and 12 go back to that context and he says, "...both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one." Now, Christ is the first phrase there. He who sanctifies, that's Jesus. And those who are being sanctified, that's us. Christians are all of one. "...for which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren." He's not ashamed to call you and me brethren, because we've been sanctified through the truth of the Father in our obedient faith to the Son. Again, in verse chapter 3, verses 4 beginning, he says, Every house is built by someone who, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Or testimony of those things that had afterward be spoken of, but Christ as a son over His house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope of the hope firm to the end. Christ is a son, and we are children of God in God's house. So it is this relationship of being in the house of God, being in the family of God, that we have this relationship with Jesus as a brother. We've been adopted into the the family of God. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's called an adoption. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. You know, Christ, uh, uh, we're in God's family, and the Son of God is the head of that house, and, and so we have this familial relationship with Christ. But how do we have it? So we can all go our separate ways, so we can all just live as we please? No, Jesus taught while he was on earth. It was by doing the will of the Father that we have this relationship with him. In Matthew twelve, verses forty nine and fifty. Uh, 50 12, Matthew twelve, forty-nine and fifty, he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So is Jesus how is Jesus your brother if you're doing the will of the Father in heaven? That's just like John 14, if a man loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and will come unto him. We'll make our abode with him. So Christ is our brother. Because we do the Father's will. Because we're in God's family. We're children of God. If you're not saved, then in that respect, in that application of the phrase, you're not a child of God. Yes, we've all been created by God, but we're talking about in the house of God that has redemption. That has the Son over it and who as high priest has redeemed that house. Now someone says, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. And you know, by the way, the house of God is the church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15 Someone says, I've got a relationship with Jesus. The church is not that important. I, you know, church is not. No, I don't, I don't need the church. I've got Jesus. No. If you have Jesus, you'll have His church. You'll be in His church. And if you reject His church, you're rejecting Jesus. Because that's His body. And he's the head he's, that's the house of God and he's over it Hebrews three four through six so you see this idea of personal relationship with Jesus and how that is used to prop up false doctrines including the false doctrines about the church is 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 uh, serious we need to realize how dangerous it is to accept terminology that we that, that that has a very different meaning than what we're trying to convey. Than what Scripture conveys. Let's just use let's use God's terminology. He's our brother in the house of God, and we honor him as the one over God's house. Well, Bible talks about Jesus being a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We sing, and rightly so. But notice the idea. The word friend. Translated from the Greek word means an associate or a neighbor. And who did Jesus say is His friend? Now, And who is He the friend of? Well, in one sense, Christ is a friend of us all because He gave Himself for the whole world. John 15.13 says, Greater love has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. But then He says, You are My friends if you do whatever I command you. So... I'm afraid the world has and the religious world has a much broader definition of being a friend to Jesus than Jesus has. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. You're my associate. You're my neighbor. We have that relationship, that fellowship, that communion if you do what I command. Abraham is called the friend of God. Why? Why? Because when God commanded him, he trusted God and he did what God said. James, second chapter, 21 through 23, and he said, Was not even our father Abraham justified by works in that he offered Isaac? Uh, and, and do you see that his faith was working with, together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And Abraham, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God because he believed God and he did what God said. He offered Isaac because God said, take your son, your only son and offer him on Mount Moriah. On the mountain I'll show you. He took him and he did that. He raised the knife. He was as good as dead. God stayed His hand. And that's saving faith. That's the kind of faith that makes me a friend of Jesus. Jesus said, if you obey me, if you keep my commandments, you're my friend. That's the kind of faith. You you say, I can't have the kind of faith of Abraham. Why not? You want to be the friend of God, don't you? God's not asking you and me to have some kind of faith different than Abraham or less than Abraham or something we can't do. We can have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of the faithful after all. Put Abraham up on some pedestal, no one can have faith like Abraham. We have to have faith like Abraham, or we're lost. Romans the fourth chapter establishes that, as well as other verses, this one being one of them. You see, Jesus gives salvation to all who obey him. Because those are the ones who are friends. He says, You're my friend if you do what I command you. So are you his friend? Am I his friend? How are we doing on that? Are we obeying when it's easy, but when it's hard we we have excuses? When it's easy we're right there, but but when it's difficult it's it's you know, we 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 let somebody else take up the take that yoke. No. One final relationship tonight we're going to look at, and that is Jesus is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. He's called. He calls Himself the Good Shepherd in John 10 and verse 11. He said, I'm the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives His life for the sheep. And then in verse 14, I am the Good Shepherd and I know My sheep and am known by My own. So Christ is the Good Shepherd who sacrifices Himself for the welfare of the sheep, for our life, He dies so He could live. Lay down my life. Give my life to the sheep. And significantly, verse 14, He says, I know My sheep. I know those who are Mine. And I know those who are pretenders. He's already talked about some of that earlier in that text. Then, In verse 14, also note that He says, I am the Good Shepherd, I know My sheep, and am known by My own. My sheep know Me. You see? Christ's sheep knows knows Jesus. Well, how do you know Jesus? What did John say? Hereby we know that we know Him. What did he say? 1 John 2. Hereby we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, that's how we know we know Him. Now look at verse twenty-seven. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. There it is. You keep My command. You listen to My voice, and you follow Me. That's My sheep, He says. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father's given them to me, and He's greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. I am the Father of one. Christ gives eternal life and security to those who know Jesus, that is, those who hear His voice and follow Him. The evangelical personal relationship with Jesus is used to prop up the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Oh, I've got a relationship with Jesus, and He's not going to let me fall. He's not going to, cause me to allow me to go to hell. I, I'm saved. And I'll be forever saved. Now, never mind that my life over here is not, not keeping the commandments of God. But after all, if I'm obeying God, if I'm doing that, then I'm just trying to earn my salvation. And, and you know, we can't earn our salvation, so I'm just going to trust the personal relationship I have with Jesus. You, you listen, how, you see how the devil deceives people? He deceives people, good people, deceived people, lost people. With words that are error, that do not conform to truth. So, he's our shepherd. We need to listen to his voice and follow him. Obey him. Every one of those relationships we've talked about tonight are conditioned on our obedient faith. Not on an experience that we claim. Not on a, quote, indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ within the Spirit of the Christian. No. But by living obedient faith, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Ephesians 3 and verse 17. So. Be sure you have the right relationship with Jesus. The one who, the one that has His word and does His word, is the one that loves Him, and He will be loved by the Father, and we will come unto Him and make our abode with Him. We will reveal ourselves to Him. He will be in us, and we will be in Him. There's the relationship of fellowship, of, of eternal security that we have in the Son. If you're not a Christian, become one tonight. You do that by having a faith that He's the Son of God and confessing that faith and by repenting of your sins against Him and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins so that He will add you to His church, God's house, and you'll have all the spiritual blessings Of having fellowship with the Son. If you're a Christian, if sin has intruded and broken that fellowship, then repent and return to the Lord. Confess it in prayer. Change your life to conform to truth. Honor Him with trust and obey. All together we stand and we sing. Won't you come?